and welcome to the session finale of Your New Mexico Government. I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. The 54th legislative session is in the books, and it's time to take another look at some of the issues that were addressed in Santa Fe. Marisa DeMarco, executive producer of Your New Mexico Government, sits down with me in studio to discuss. Your New Mexico Government starts now. And here we are, Your New Mexico Government, the season wrap-up, we're calling it, I guess. Yeah, That's yeah. Girl, awesome. I am here with the executive producer of this fantastic project, Marisa DeMarco. Marisa, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Khalil? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So the 54th legislative session has wrapped up. Mm-hmm. We have some bills that have been passed and waiting for signature. We have some bills that have been tabled and put on hold. And at the end of it all, we have a lot of issues to discuss. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So something that I found interesting, in episode 12, I spoke with KUNM's own... Kaveh Movehead. And we were talking about lobbyists and special interests. And here's a clip of something that he said. New Mexico uh, Ethics Watch uh, kind of calls that the revolving door, you know, between uh, legislation and then uh, lobbyists. Um, And there is, you know, there are quite a few uh, former legislators, legislators who are now lobbying. That's something that's very interesting to me. The Ethics Watch has released this report and we have... We, we, something, a discussion I want to get into a little bit later I had with Matt Grubbs about uh, SJ7, Senate Joint Resolution 7, about potentially having a professional legislature right, right. instead of a citizen-run legislature. Apparently, New Mexico is the only state in the United States who has continues to have one. Mm-hmm. And lobbyists and this revolving door. So someone can go from being a lobbyist to, hey, I'm going to run for office for a little while and then I'm a lobbyist. And a lot of our representatives do not recuse themselves from issues that directly affect their profession. That just feels like it's open and ripe for corruption and and just shady dealings. You're right. And you're right that these things all wrap together, right? So I think that there's a sense uh, among the public that oftentimes the things that are happening in government, like it's all inside deals, it's all people who know each other, it's all kind of bro deals going down, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it builds this distrust in government. Truly. I mean, I went out and interviewed people last year, I think, about why they don't vote, why they choose not to vote. And I would say that there's this really pervasive feeling that, you know, in some ways voting doesn't matter because it's all kind of an inside game anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so whether or not that's true, there's definitely a perception out there uh, across all walks of life um, that that is that that's how local and national politics work, right? Yeah. And so anything that the government can do to change that, either that reality or that perception is really useful in trying to preserve a democracy the way that it's supposed to function, right? And making sure that people are able to participate. So if you feel like no matter who you vote for, that there's going to be you know, some oil company is sending a lobbyist in with a bunch of money to buy people's stakes mm-hmm. and uh, make deals with them in their private businesses that they might um, be doing. Because as you said, our lawmakers don't get paid, so they all have jobs and businesses, right? So if, if the feeling is that there's these other kinds of relationships happening that are informing a lawmaker's vote um, and that it's not just around 
what their constituents would yeah. seem to want them the way that their constituents would seem to want them to vote. Yeah. If their vote doesn't seem to just be representing the will of the people as they understand it, if it's influenced by all these other factors, you know, that's uncomfortable. Very that's uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. Very, very mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And the lack of transparency about it is something that's alarming and something to look into. Cave also said this. Uh, New Mexico laws you know, require some reporting by lobbyists how they're spending their money. But, uh, you know, I sat down last week with the director of that organization, Kathleen Sabo. She's the director of New Mexico Ethics Watch. She spent a lot of time on the Secretary of State's website kind of digging into those disclosures. And what she found were things like, you know, records that say lunch at the Pink Adobe, uh, which is a restaurant, you know, in Santa Fe. Uh, not really much accounting of who was there, what they were talking about. And then, of course, the big question is when they spend those dollars on lunch at the Picadobi or, you know, bringing lunch to legislators who are working late at night in the roundhouse and they're getting hungry. I guess that could be dinner then. Mm-hmm. When they bring those meals, when they're doing these favors, uh, which the favors vary. It's not just whining and dining, uh, but that's a big part of it. What are they getting for for that money and for those efforts? And, you know, that is something that there just are not records of. No records. Right. No records Mm -hmm. of this. It's really it's 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 troubling. Again, again, going back to is there transparency? What are the lawmakers doing? Are they working in the best interest of their constituents, as you said, or are they working in their own best interest? Right. Um. And we all, I mean, as I was listening to that, I was thinking about all the times that I've had to, you know, submit receipts for something because it was part of my job Mm -hmm. and how there's a ton of rules about, you know, the ways you can and can't spend money. So you got to make sure that you're aware of those rules before you go spend that money. And then you have to submit these really detailed receipts. And that's that's par for the course for most people who do this kind of work. So it is it is strange that in this circumstance, there's not itemization of how those dollars are spent. Um, and there, that there's just not more documentation, right, about what's talked about. And as yeah. you think about it, too, like... Um, Everyday people, we don't we don't have lobbyists. We don't have someone that we can pay to send and go buy lawmakers' ice cream or whatever, like yeah. to get our voices heard. Like we're theoretically the most um, the people who matter the most to our representatives, but but we don't have that yeah. Yeah. option, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like we're not saying, hey. Let's go. Come on. Come on, Marisa. Let's go take our representative to the pink adobe. Just talk to him about what's going on in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they may enjoy that, but they're not availing themselves to that. And right. it makes it very difficult to trust that what is going to happen at the roundhouse is, is, is going to happen if, within a forthright, forthright manner. And uh, there's a lot of particular issues that we've had. Red flag law, um, sexual harassment, non-disclosure, cannabis, a lot of people. And it's like, hmm. Things that continue to get kicked down the road, i.e. cannabis, and people aren't sure if anything is going to happen. And uh, the influence of lobbyists um, has definitely sways. I'm not going to blame it on the inaction on certain things, but you can definitely see where its influence sways certain decisions. And also from that episode, Kave talked about the the most, you know, what was sucking up the most, like lobbyist dollars, the topics. And it was 
uh, red flag law yeah. and cannabis. And you and I were joking all season long that this was like the guns and marijuana session, right? Like yeah. those were the biggest issues of this session. And so there's a way that the lobbying dollars affect the conversation, like yeah. the topic of conversation. Right? Yeah. And the fact that cannabis didn't get passed means that are the lobbyists going to cease putting money into it or are they going to flush it with more cash to try mm-hmm. to get it passed in next year's session? I have a feeling, I'm, my, if you were to put my money on it, sorry about these bad puns, <laughs> I'm going to put it on more money going oh, into yeah. next year's session so they can make sure this thing finally gets done. Yeah, I mean, because as we've observed, this is going to be a money-making thing. Yep. This is when When this happens... There's money. So, of course, of course, people are going to be putting financial pressure on it to try to make it shake out the way that it that matters to them. Yeah. They're going to make it work. That leads us to conversation I had with Mr. Matt Grubbs about the professional legislature. Let's see what he had to say. The idea, um, there's a constitutional amendment out there. The idea is that you could potentially broaden the pool of people who would be willing to serve if you made legislating a job. And if you, you know, gave people an actual salary so they could devote more time to it and they wouldn't have to have, you know, one of the few types of jobs, uh, you know, lawyers, teachers, police officers, something like that, where you're either protected by a union and can serve or you just have the sort of uh, sort of work that you can afford to take, you know, a month or two off or, or at least pay a lot less attention to your business during those months. Yeah. So the question, it would actually go to voters. Um, it's a constitutional amendment, and it would have the State Ethics Commission um, look at pay structure for elected officials statewide. So that would include governor, PRC, et cetera, et cetera, but it would also include lawmakers. Um, and that would go to the voters in November, and they would decide whether or not the Ethics Commission would take a look at that. And there are lawmakers come down on this on, on sort of uh, different different points of view. Um, one of the questions is, uh, does this constitutional amendment, as it's worded, it doesn't actually say um, lawmakers in it. Um, it just says state officials. And so there were um, a couple of people, um, I believe, on the House Republican side who were saying, you know what, this, we need this to be more clear. And so we'll see. Um, it's a fascinating proposition. I mean, there there's a good argument to be made that you would end up getting more people running, you know, if if they got a salary and they didn't have to worry about, well, I can't, you know, maintain my other career. They could just stop it. And uh, instead of, you know, paying part-time attention to both things, they could pay full-time attention to being a lawmaker. How do you feel about that? Okay, so this has been a debate in New Mexico for years. And I have to say, when I first heard, like, let's give legislators a salary or money, like, my instincts as, as a citizen is just like, no, why should we, why should we give them money, right? <laughs> um, but once the conversation moves to um, when you consider who has the time and resources to be a lawmaker right now, Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are talking about either somebody who's retired, somebody who's financially secure enough that they can take a month or two off of their jobs. Right. And these laws affect us all. They affect all people. So if if you're thinking about the demographics of right right now, the way the system is set up, who can afford to be a lawmaker? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it also be, I think our legislature starts to skew a little older 
too, because you're talking about people who have established careers where they can afford to take this time off or a business that they own that can take this time off. People who are retired, right, can take this time off. And young people are greatly affected by these laws. Younger people, not even, I mean, I don't even mean just like people under 18 or something, like just people who are not like in a totally secure financial place, which is a lot of us who are under a certain age, right? Like we're all doing and hustling a bunch of gigs and yeah. trying to piece money together I mean, here the fact there. that the service industry is a huge employer of a lot of people in the state not just in albuquerque and santa fe is um is is, is key to that and people love like nationally people love aoc because she goes like from the service industry to congress right yeah. um and and yeah we sh- and so many of the laws that come through our legislature affect those workers. I hear constantly conversations about wages and paid time off and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and not even ones just about the work itself, but all, you know, the laws affect so many of us. I would love to see people on the legislature who are younger folks who just come right out of the service industry who, you know. Yeah. And and like a true, what, what will the legislature look like? Should we have true representatives from all walks of life, of New Mexican life mm-hmm. um, participate? Now it's, it's, it's an amendment that's to go into constitution and is brought before the people to vote. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you think, should this go in front of the people of New Mexico? How do you think this would go? Yeah. I, I love, when issues come right before the public, but I like to, or I hope that I can be part of explaining all the nuances of it. Because like I said, when I first heard about this, I'm like, yeah, no, don't pay those guys anymore. Don't give them any more of my tax dollars or whatever. Right. Like yeah. we can be pretty anti-government out here as a, I'm not anti-government, but you know, we, mm-hmm. we're pretty, we're pretty uh, self-reliant folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a way that some of those philosophies might not open up the conversation to the fact that more people, really, truly, more people would have access to being a lawmaker if it was a paid gig, something you got paid to do all year long, and uh, was a financially stable option, right? And it lengthens the session. Rather than have 30-day sessions and an off-year 60-day sessions, hey— 120-day sessions, and then you come back for something mandatory a little bit later in the fall for maybe 60 days. So you're really putting in work, and you're const- you're employed, and this is your job to make sure things get done. I think uh, a lot of progress would happen with laws and measures on whatever side people want to be on. Yeah, and every session we always um, have to say at the end of the session, like, this bill, it got a lot of heat, and they just ran out of time. Yeah, they just ran out of time constantly. Oh, you know, so there's a way that things just kind of get kicked down the road. Things progress really slowly because that because sixty or thirty days is not maybe enough. Not right? long so, enough. And and we were talking just about recreate a little bit, recreational marijuana bill, and uh, you know that had so many nuances. You could have, as Gene said on the on the episode I did with Gene, you could have spent like, two weeks about each different little tiny facet about yes. about that bill. Yes. You know? Yes. Speaking of, there's a tiny facet I want to talk about with that bill. Mm-hmm. Other issues, you know, the, the Albuquerque Chamber of Commerce has opposed this legislation consistently because of concerns around DWI, concerns about not being able to know whether someone is driving under the influence. 
they're also concerned around uh, the fact that we're a state that there's you know significant substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. True. They're also concerned about uh, workplace uh, soberness. Uh, you know, uh, being able to ensure that an employee is not uh, coming to work high. That was Nash Jones from KUNM. Mm-hmm. Great conversation and. I, I want to know about that. Is that something that really got addressed in this session? Because those are very, very legitimate concerns that when reading pieces in newsprint and media and just listening to stuff, people didn't talk about too much. It was more like the financial consequences of passing this or not passing this. You know what I think is is hard to address as people are tossing this bill around or addressing the conversation around recreational marijuana. What's hard to talk about is that people already smoke weed. Yep. Lots and lots of people smoke marijuana recreationally or medically with and without cards and licensing. Yep. Like, it is super common. And so I just don't think the conversation ever goes there, right? Uh, And so as we're considering things like substance abuse of course, of course, an important concern uh, or driving under the influence or going to work under the influence. Those are never not going to be issues. But I'm here to tell you they already like whatever they prevalence are. they have. <laughs> yeah. That's the prevalence that it is. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I agree. Like everybody does this illegal act. Not everybody, but tons of people do this illegal activity. And so if you're worried about substance abuse workplace um, sobriety, driving yeah. sobriety, uh, you know, that's however that's playing out now. That's how it will continue to play out. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about service industry and stuff. It's like, yeah, you go to a service industry job and see, count how many people aren't stoned. Um, yeah. try that. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, you know, it's not fair to just pick on one, one industry or whatever, but it's definitely, um, there's just not an acknowledgement that, Despite the fact that this is illegal, it's an incredibly common practice. Mm-hmm. And if you have concerns about workplace sobriety, uh, that that should already be a concern for you. And that should be already be a thing that you're engaging with at your business by instituting policies, by making sure your employees are clear about those regulations and expectations, by... Um, you know, by being really upfront in that conversation. Yeah. And I think maybe by having marijuana be illegal, um, it becomes harder to be upfront about that conversation, right? Mm. Because you don't want to be accusing people of doing something that's illegal. Yeah. Um, But I think expectation of workplace sobriety, driving sobriety, um, avoiding excessive substance abuse, you know, all those conversations are already in play. Yeah. And marijuana is already a part of those conversations, whether we're addressing it or not. Yeah. And, and like you said, to act as if they're not, and this suddenly is an issue, why you would block this is, is it, I would say that's being disingenuous a little bit, to act as if it isn't already an issue that we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I do think, though, and we saw it in Colorado, uh, recreational marijuana opens up and then. There's a lot of tourism around it. Mm-hmm. And whether those tourists are behaving responsibly or not, like that's a legit yeah. concern, right? Because they're not invested in that community. They're on vacation, yeah. you know, whatever. So I think there is a way to kind of start to to address what the real impact would be if you acknowledge where we already are with this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
another point, pardon me, another point that I want to bring up, um, Nash was mentioned something about equity. Check this out. Those are both part of the uh, equity provisions within this bill. Uh, the marijuana working group that the governor put together over the summer uh, recommended that this this law has to have uh, equity provisions. It, it has to serve, uh, uniquely serve the needs of those communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. Yes. So we're talking communities of color, uh, low-income communities, folks who have been disproportionately imprisoned for marijuana-related offenses. And there's a number of ways that they're attempting to wrap equity up in this law. Okay. So not only the, expun- the records expungement um, and uh, releasing folks from jail and from prison, but um, if you have a past conviction for marijuana-related offenses, uh, that wouldn't be a barrier to holding a license. And mm. so you you would be invited to participate as a licensee um, whether you wanted to open a dispensary or however you wanted to plug into this business okay. um, and, and be a business owner within the recreational marijuana space. Now, that's something I've heard a lot about as um, the national conversation for nationally uh, decriminalizing marijuana has happened. People are like, what about equity? What about the people who are currently serving prison terms mm-hmm. or, or who, who have for what would now be considered non-offenses or very, very, very minor offenses. Do you feel like these steps that are introduced, although the bill has not been passed, do you feel like these steps are a path toward creating that balance? I know a lot of people were saying, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what people were saying out, outright. They were like, if we don't do this, there's going to be a lot of rich white guys who are going to take advantage of this. And what about all the people of color for years who have suffered for minor offenses, whose lives have been turned upside down with sentencing um, and punishment for what are going to be considered non-offenses? And suddenly you make this you, – you legalize it and rich white guys can come in and reap all the profit without recognizing uh, the inequity of the past. How do you feel? Yeah, so there's this there's a meme floating around that's like when the marijuana store starts to look like the Apple store, it's time to let a whole lot of people out of jail. Yeah. Right? I keep seeing that one pop up. Yeah, I saw that too. Um yeah, I mean, th- yeah, we're talking about power structures, we're talking about wealth accumulation and people making sure that they maintain that wealth and a lot of that has to do with who's allowed to start a business and participate in a business, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about this uh, concept, there's this concept still of the American dream where you can, you can start a business, you can change your class standing, you can, you know, put in the work um, that's required and, and change your life and change the life for your family and, and your community. But if people are outright barred from participating in that, uh, because there's profits being made now, off of whatever they got jailed for. Yeah. You know, that's a that is a intense ethical consideration, right? Yes. Um it's like some person goes to jail for having grown and distributed marijuana and they're in there for having done that and then, you know, business owners, corporations, people who see the profitability um 
now they start growing and selling marijuana, right? Yeah. And meanwhile, like a person maybe who has a lot of experience doing it is is sitting in jail. He's sitting right? in jail. Who has all the expertise about it yeah. is in jail, right? Or, or, or recently released from jail, but prohibited due to the laws from getting into this mm-hmm, because of their criminal in a, record in a legal way yeah. and capitalizing and capitalizing on the, their expertise and making those profits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that's incumbent upon this session. In 60 days next year to for the for lawmakers to really get clear with um, if, and should they come up with a well, an opportunity for everybody to get involved. You're expunging of certain records. You may get a groundswell of uh, citizen support for this. And, and who do you want to be making profits in New Mexico? Do yeah. you want it to be outside business interests to come here who have experience now growing recreational marijuana all over the country and who have a lot of financial capital to play with and they can open up shop and, you know, it can be part of a chain of shops or um, or do you want it to be folks in New Mexico? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that would be the best. That would be the best. Okay, we're going to take this to business and talk about the Sexual Harassment Non-Disclosure Act that was passed. It was passed. Let's listen. It really makes it a lot harder for an employee to, I'm, I'm sorry, an employer to require a non-disclosure agreement so that while you're settling a case or even in a situation where you're getting a job and they want you to um, sign something that says, if this ever happens, you won't talk about it. Um, and so you can see how those kind of practices are problematic and it's really hard to change the culture around sexual discrimination and retaliation if you can't talk about what happened. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Going back to the theme of this is of our conversation, transparency. Yeah. Um, and this, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this passed, right? It did pass. So uh, final votes, House unanimously approved it. Uh, Senate did approve it, but it, that broke along party lines with Republicans voting against it and Democrats voting in favor of it. There was one exception. Republican Senator uh, William Payne from Albuquerque voted in favor of it mm-hmm. in the Senate. So House unanimous, Senate split, but it did still pass. It passed. Mm-hmm. And this is very, very important. Um, we've got a a, a, a national uh, presidential campaign with one of the candidates being forced to answer about some of his non-disclosure agreements that he has with employees and the fact that this has been a practice for years out here in New Mexico um i believe i just i just did a i just did a um all Things Considered report the other day where the Ethics Commission got their first complaint mm-hmm. in. And they haven't dis- disclosed what it is or what it's about, but they have their first complaint in. What do you feel like the impact is going to be on the state with this passing? Yeah, I mean, this this absolutely is a transparency issue. It's a worker equity issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a way that workers might feel like they really want this job, so they're going to sign these NDAs. And then it puts them in jeopardy, right? Stuff maybe does happen in the workplace. Um, and they don't have the option to be public about it. Uh, stuff might be happening with uh, people who are in positions of power over more than just their business, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's stories about the president, President Trump's NDAs, right? Yes. I mean, this is an issue. This is an issue. We need to know um, about what what these what people's practices are 
um, and what people endure, right? We need to know those things because these are violations of policy. Sometimes they're violations of law. Yeah. So it's it's not just a matter of do we need to know everybody's personal business, but, you know, do you want lawmakers who follow the law? Yes. Right? Yes. Law, and, 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 and really enforcing upon businesses to follow the law. Now, in a, in a day and age where we have a lot of information in our hands, some of it's misinformation, but people base a lot of the decisions on how they live life according to the information that they get. They base on, am I going to shop at this store because this store operates in an ethical business manner mm-hmm. as opposed to this other store? Who am I going to support? Obviously, political candidates, but a, a lot of people make these decisions and they attach their lives to it. And I think it only behooves the state to kind of open this up and give an opportunity to anyone who's been sexually harassed. Hey, you're not bound to a non-disclosure agreement. Um, it's a way to make sure that people who are sexual harassers don't have legal cover. Yeah. Right. That they can't hide that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes it absolutely open. I'm really. That's just, this is one bill that I was really happy to see. That it has passed, but on party lines in the Senate. Hmm. Maybe in a future episode we can get one of those Republican senators in here to explain. Yeah, I was trying to—I didn't hear the debate, but I was thinking, you know, maybe there's concerns for business owners. Maybe there's particulars about this, the way that this particular bill was written uh, that might present a little heartburn. Um, I don't know. I don't know what their perspective is. Yeah. Yeah. Be interesting to find out. Not not decrying all uh, members of the GOP as being staunchly against this, because obviously in the House there weren't. Um, but it's very interesting conversation to have. We'll look forward. Yeah, to it. yeah, yeah. Well, that's a wrap up for the. 54th legislative session. We are going to have some live events coming your way. Stay tuned to your New Mexico government at KUNM.org for more. Marisa, this has been fun. Yes. We're on an episode together, Kalia. I know. Fine. It's like the <laughs> nexus. It's like everything has come together. Well, we hope you all enjoyed. Thank you for bringing me onto the project and guiding me through the entire way. I really appreciate it. Oh, it has, this has been nothing but a pleasure. Thank you, Kalia. Wonderful. And that's a wrap for this episode of Your New Mexico Government. Thanks to all the journalists for being a part of the show and for their continued fantastic work in bringing us the news of how our state government is functioning. Be on the lookout for more episodes and live events. That's right, live events, because our work in informing you is never done. Your New Mexico Government is produced by yours truly, executive produced by Marisa DeMarco. For everyone here, I'm Khalil e. Colonna. Thanks for listening. Your New Mexico government is a collaboration between KUNN, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our legislative coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation and the New Mexico Local News Fund.